This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Uh, it is time for the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio. That's what we like to call it. It is an all in well, a, a largely encompassing tour of the news of our time. That mm-hmm. sounds really deep. That's very deep. Scotty. Very deep. If too deep. Okay, it's let me Friday. back. Let Come me back on. up. It's the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio. We talk about stuff. <laughs> Plain, boring stuff. We're going to talk about stuff. Stuff. I can't say that we're going to dive into the deepest, darkest stories of our time. That's uh, no one wants I, to get into our deepest, darkest stories. That's well, for that sure. that that's true. Uh, that voice you're hearing, by the way, Mike Fortune from Cable 14. Who, by the way, I must say this: I'm flipping around my channels on my TV night after night after <laughs> night, and every time I roll by Cable 14. There is Hamilton's best hairdo hosting another all-candidates debate slash meeting. Yeah. You you have become the political guru of our region. Well, uh, the, thank you for the kind words. But no, there are many more qualified than I am. I, um, I'm very fortunate for the opportunity, and I thank Cable 14 for putting their trust in me to moderate uh, it was six debates and three nights. They will be re-airing and then doing some follow-up interviews with some of the fringe candidates on City Matters. It's, uh, it was an eye-opening experience. I think I'm the most informed I have ever been for a provincial I election. I believe it. And like I said, it, it was a great opportunity and a great experience. And it was a great team behind me. Linda Rourke, James McMillan, my producer, Billy Memes, uh, you know, and of course Gail and Brent from Cable 14. They this all wouldn't have happened without them. And then, of course, the co-ops and the volunteers. Look, at the end of the day, Scott, I was just a guy up there reading off a teleprompter, making sure everyone pretty much played nice. And for majority of it, except I would maybe say two debates, everyone played by the rules. Did every candidate agree to come in? I didn't see every single one of them. Did you get? We got 23 out of 24 candidates. There was one candidate... Uh, um, uh, Gray Wall from the uh, the PC party that did not make it in. He was not with the Stony Creek, so that would have been with Paul Miller and Jennifer Stebbing. Um, Gray Wall did not make it in. We don't know if he got the information. Everyone was given all the information in plenty of time. Uh, so 23 out of 24, not a bad percentage. So having sat through all of them, and again, they are going to be re-airing on Cable 14. People can see them. They'll be now. Uh, Not only that, but also on Cable14Now.com, courtesy okay. of, of Koji Cohn Rogers. So, so people it, can go online and see them. So you can go online to Cable14Now.com and whatever debate. I'd suggest you watch all of them because it was just so fascinating to see how the different candidates are for the different ridings. Go in. Each one is about an hour, and it's a... F- Simple format, opening statements, closing statements at the end, obviously, Q&As directed at certain candidates, and um, it, you get a really good sense as to what's happening here in the Hamilton ridings. We know that when we have leadership debates, there's going to be one on Sunday, by the way, good time to mention it, uh, it'll be played on TV, but also here on CHML at 6.30, if you're out driving around or doing whatever, and you can't, you're not in front of a TV and you want to catch the debate, it will be right here, just tune into 900 CHML, you can catch it here. We know when the leaders have their debates, that the person who does what you were doing is in a spot that is almost impossible because... They are so well-trained and rehearsed in their talking points that it's almost impossible to move them, to budge them. If you say, what color is the sky? You'll hear, well, in my plan, we're going to be reducing taxes for carbon emissions and blah, blah. It's like, no, no. What color is the sky? Well, I've got to tell you that I met Jody from Stony Creek, who is a worker at Stelco. No, what color is this? I mean, yeah. 
Do you get the same when you're talking with the candidates who aren't as heavily hands-on massaged into that? Do you get a little more honesty from them? Our, our debate was a little different in the fact that I had a pointed question to a certain candidate, for example, and they only had one minute to answer. And I have to say the candidates were extremely polished and they stuck to the questions. There was the odd time when we got into the open forum where it, it the question would be about hydro and next thing you know they're talking about LRT. It's like, okay, folks, I, I did a lot of this. No, I know you can't see it if you're at home. I'm putting my hands up. I felt like a teacher at times. Okay, kids. Okay, okay now. Let, let's all get back on topic here. Um, so that, that only happened a couple of times, Scott, but they were all very polished. They, they really listened to what the questions were. And the passion, the tenacity, the knowledge um, that they have for their party, for their specific topics. Uh, you know, and I have to say, it, it, it was, Andrea Horvath was at one of these because she's in one of our ridings. She took the time out. They had about 25, 30 NDP supporters outside of the Cable 14 studios. They had to come in, security, had to sweep it, you know, the whole works. It was pretty intense that night. Um, but she also set the tone for that night, too. I, I, as I say, I wish, and I don't know how you do this, and I, it's impossible to do it. I would love for, and again, not the debates you're talking about because you can't. Mm. You've got so many of them. I would love for leadership debates to be unannounced. Mm. That the, All the leaders agree that we are going to have a debate, but we're going to tell you it's going to be on a night between this and this, and we're not going to tell you when. And all of a sudden we announce it an hour before and we say, get down here. So you don't have all the time to come up with the pat rehearsed answers. And we're going to drop bombs on you to find out what you really stand for. It could never happen, but I would love to see. You're listening to the Scott Radley show weeknights from six to eight only on 900 CHML debates. I think are a really valuable thing. They have been usurped, though, in a certain way because there's so much prep for them now that it becomes very difficult to try and get to the nut of what you're trying to find out about each candidate. They, I mean, nobody is walking into these things, oh, golly shucks, whatever. You know, they're all well prepared. No, and I, I think that's one of the reasons why it's important that you watch these debates. There were a, a number of questions that were asked directly to the candidates that they didn't know what the question was going to be about. Which is the way it should be. Um, each candidate got, I think, one or two each, and they had a minute to respond. And that is the way it should be. And what I really, what I found interesting in my role, Scott, was watching how the candidates reacted, responded when they knew they weren't on camera, how they were sometimes fumbling through papers, knees tapping, whatever the case might be. But because they're politicians, because they're professionals, because they've all had other careers, they're very good at what they do. And they were all very well-spoken. I think there was maybe one that was, you could tell, okay, a little inexperienced. But again, because of the passion they all had, and I see where you're coming from, you really want to surprise them, but I don't think that will ever happen because hey, it yeah, won't. You, 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 everyone's campaigning, crisscrossing. Like I asked Andrea um, uh, Horvath before two minutes before the debate, I go, oh, have you been watching all the other debates? She was the last one. She goes, no, she goes, I've been all across the province um, campaigning. So they don't have time and they can't do what you're suggesting. Call up, it's happening within half an hour. And I know that that couldn't, it's more of just a dream of let's catch them completely off guard so we get the honest answers but as what opposed is, to the rehearsed. What is really neat is when we actually had a candidate ask another candidate a question. That was interesting. And that's where you're catching them off guard. And at the end of the day, a lot of the topics are all the same. 
hydro, privatization, hallway medicine, taxes, lowering, decreasing job cuts, whatever. So no matter how much you really try to surprise them, I don't think they're going to be surprised because this is their life. This is what they study. This is what they learn. This is the speech they continually give, 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 and give. And and that's just how it is. You mentioned passion. You mentioned abilities and preparation. Uh, any anger? <laughs> Watch the debates. Yes, uh, the Stony Creek Mountain one, there was a bit of a hotly contested uh, discussion between Liberal candidate Jennifer Stebbing and NDP candidate Paul Miller um, regarding certain allegations, and okay. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, and then people, people know what we're talking about. You can go read about it online yeah, if you'd I'm like. Yeah, I'm not going to get into details. No, no, but there are allegations against Paul Miller for yep. behavior with his staff. You can go read all about it. So, so that was a little hotly contested, and I had to get involved with that one. And uh, the, the biggest one that got a lot of press here and was really water cooler talk was between Liberal candidate Judy Partridge and PC candidate Donna Skelly. Um, it, uh, who know each other very well. They know each other. Both they're, city councillors. They're both city councillors. And as a moderator, I was shocked. Why? I actually had some, my jaw dropped a couple times because I was blown away at the lack of professionalism. I was blown away at how disrespectful they were to the process of the debate after they had been given fair warning on don't over speak let everyone speak fairly and equally. And there was just a lot of back and forth. And it was quite childish, I thought. There was, and this is going to... And this is a new riding. So yeah. I, I, I get that there's a lot of passion, but some of the things that were said, and again, I'm not going to get into it here. I, I asked that you go to cable14now.com. Um, I will be asking Judy Partridge um, some questions pointed questions on on Monday's edition of City Matters, live at four, um, regarding that specific incident that kind of came up. There was that block of about 10 minutes. And it was a little little unfortunate, I thought, for the viewers, uh, for the closed captioning people who couldn't keep up with anything. Uh, And there was also another uh, debate that got a little crazy, too, between Monique Taylor, Damon Starr of the Liberals, and uh, Esther Pauls, the candidate for the PC. Uh, That one was... It was entertaining, but it was very challenging keeping them all askew. Monique was a true pro. She's been in this situation. Uh, the, the the rookie candidates who haven't run before, um, they wanted they got their points across, uh, but it's unfortunate. I think a lot of it was missed because there was so much talking over each other. See, the reason I asked about anger, I think there is a lot of anger out there about this election. I think a lot of people are angry with the way this election is going. I think that yeah. you're seeing in the last couple of days, the leaders are now finding gotcha things that are trying to stir it up. I mean, look, sure. elections are always hotly contested. It seems to me that our elections have become more hotly contested. No, and we've talked about this on this show earlier in the week. When people in the last federal election were voting, they weren't voting because I don't think they loved Justin Trudeau. Not many. They vote. A lot of people were voting to get rid of Stephen Harper, which is how Justin Trudeau came into office. I think there's down in the states. The election was very angry. The last federal election, it was nobody was voting for anybody. They were voting because they hated the other person. And I see a lot of that here. And it's it's natural that it's going to spill over into the debates. That you're going to have people who are going to get upset and going to get heated and going to get angry about stuff. Yes, but composure goes a long way in my eyes. And if if you can't handle uh, 
um, some pointed questions at you during an hour television debate on community television. How are you going to handle yourself when something really big happens and you have to be at Queens Park? You know, again, it, it was, uh, the, what I got to witness behind the scenes was fascinating to me. And what I got to witness afterwards and beforehand during before the lights went on, that's where what really helped me kind of open my eyes. Yeah, and one of the particular things, and you can go again, watch the debates, uh, in one of the cases, there was, I, I, I thought the answer was exceedingly patronizing, exceedingly patronizing, and it was a woman to a woman candidate. If this had been a man to a woman, the male candidate, we've got to go to break, but the male candidate, I'm sure, would have been forced to step down. Hands I'm down. sure. It's Unquestionable. Double standard. Go look that one up. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. Mike Fortune from Cable 14, heretofore to be known as Election Mike. Oh, jeez, come on now. No, no, no. Like I said, there there are... I was given a wonderful opportunity due to circumstance, and I jumped on it. And I learned a lot about myself. And, you know, you may make a few mistakes as you go along. But, again, it was a great team effort from everyone at Cable 14. And I thank everyone. There's been a lot of people coming up congratulating me and, and uh, with the job I've done. But, you know, I went into this, Scott. I wanted to go into this, like, you know, whenever you see that, that great hockey game, you never hear about the referee. You know what I mean? That's the mindset. I don't. I don't want to be. I didn't want to be talked about during all this. I just wanted to make sure everything went off cool, calm, and collected. And I think you should have. You know what you should have done then? <laughs> What's that? You should have done like in famous people players have all the rest of them in reflective clothes <laughs> and put on black lights, <laughs> yeah. and you just in a black coat yeah, in the background there you go. talking. That would have been good. That would have been good. Uh, let us jump for a moment to. I want to go to municipal politics for a second. Something yeah. at the city because this week there was a long debate at city hall about whether to not ban, the word is not ban because they're not really banning it, but to deter sugary beverages and bottled water from the city so that bottles of water and pop and Gatorades and things like that are not going to be sold as readily at city-owned facilities. People may completely agree with that. People may completely disagree with that. I don't want to talk about that specific issue, Mike, because that's, you know, again, we're going to have people, and and that's fine. That's Mm -hmm. fine. You can have either side of that. But I, it started dawning on me when I thought about, okay, we're doing, we'll call it a ban, but a ban of sorts on sugary drinks, which came just days after the mayor tried to, and recanted, but tried to ban the anarchist symbol in this city. And the list, I wrote down a list of banning hate groups from public facilities and parks, ban on coffee lids and recycle, trying to ban peanuts from public parks, banning smoking in outdoor parks, banning payday loans, banning tobogganing until they unbanned it, trying to ban <laughs> guns from the downtown, banning bar- backyard chickens, banning multiple pets, <laughs> banning road hockey until they unbanned it. Uh, several years ago, I remember they tried to get the ban on pit bulls. Like it, <laughs> we seem very quick to pull the switch and say, yeah, let's just ban it. It, yeah. it seems to me there's a lot of banning going on. I, I Yeah, and I think there's lots of talk maybe behind the scenes before this comes, but I do agree. It, it does seem like an awful lot. It's to, it's to the complete extreme, this has to now stop, as opposed to let's gradually look at things. Let's make sure we have all of our ducks in a row, I's dotted, T's crossed. No, we're banning it, banning it, banning it. As long as not a backyard ducks. 
Can't have those backyard ducks in a row. And and then it's funny, you know, you mentioned a couple things that were banned, and then all of a sudden the the people spoke, and we can toboggan again, and everything's good. So yeah, I don't know why that term seems to be so thrown around so loosely well, anymore. It's a very nanny state kind of thing to do to say absolutely you cannot do this because we know what's best for you and you can't. Now I there are certain things that I I suppose probably make some sense. Although on this list, really, there's a lot of things in this list. Most of the things in this list, I would say. I don't think we need a ban on that. I agree. We can put restrictions on it. You know, like banning smoking in outdoor parks. All right. Here's a perfect example of one. You can't smoke in city parks. If you're outdoors, surely, surely you don't have to put a ban on smoke. You can say you can smoke over there or you have to be 15 yards away from Mm -hmm. the buildings or the field or whatever. It's, It's overkill. Like a lot of these things, it's just, it's too much and it's too nanny state esque. But that, but how do we change that? This this is the way this council thinks. I don't know if this is the same thought process other councils have across across uh, Canada. But I I have no problem with the banning of smoking in public parks. I kind of like that one because I used to take my kids there. It's uh, they're all the smokers. They go to the sidewalk. We're by the playground. No one's smoking around me. Yeah, but now we have the people saying, okay, but we got all these cigarette butts on the sidewalks that we have to clean up. We've had this as an issue at city council now. And so my point is, does marijuana fall under banning well, of cigarettes? <laughs> we're going to find out because now some people want to ban marijuana smoking in condos. So people who, you can't smoke outside, you can't smoke inside, but the government is saying this will be legal, but we've now created it where... It's legal, except that there's nowhere to do it legally. Are you allowed to do it legally on your front porch if you, no. if you well, share no. a townhouse? Probably not. I don't know. I don't know what the rule is. We have to. I have to ask Chief Gert next time I see him on Police Watch. So using just this one, and this is the point, yeah. is not to talk about cigarettes no, or no, marijuana. But it's, I got it's an exa- No, Stop but it's it. an example. It's a good example. The point of this is cigarettes are legal in our society. You can buy cigarettes. You are allowed to smoke cigarettes. I can understand saying there are places where you can't smoke them within those areas, but if you are outdoors... If you are outdoors, so the cigarette smoke is going to rise up, to ban it at a full public park is ludicrous. To say you have to be away from, as I say, you have to be 15 yards back away from a sideline of a field so all the parents and kids aren't in the line. It's just too much. You have to do an analysis of which way the wind is blowing Uh, and then decide from there where you should stand to have your cigarettes. but But it seems as though, Mike, this is becoming the default position. And I'll give you the examples. When we had a couple shootings in the downtown and the mayor, I think with good intentions, but he said, we got to ban guns. He has to appease the masses. I know, but banning, it is not his place, first of all, to ban guns. Guns are not illegal in our country. You have to, there are methods and mechanisms to get guns, but it's not the city's role for that. That is the criminal code. We have rules on guns. We have lots of rules. We have lots of laws on guns. I'm, uh, but, but he has to come out and say something. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. That seems to be, if there's an issue, that often seems to be the default position. Well, let's just not allow it then. And again, like I said, it, it's it's a way to appease the masses. It's a way to keep social media at bay, to keep the, um, to keep the other medias at bay. And then once that's done, the news cycle changes over so quickly, they're on to something else. And what 
happens a lot of the time, a ban is eventually lifted. But do do bans not often, especially when they are bans on ideas, like an anarchy symbol? And again, I, I understand you're right. When when this symbol went up and the mayor decided this is a hate symbol and we should be banning this thing, he's since taken that back. He got some advice that that was not right. Does it not just make it more likely that people are going to then do that? Like it's 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 like telling a kid, don't touch the don't stove. Don't touch it. What don't do they touch do? it. Your first thing you gotta do is touch don't it. touch it. You gotta touch it. Yeah, you know, you're yeah. Council, the mayor and, and maybe just in general, you know, I think we need to take a little bit more direction and listen to more people around us from time to time before we put all these big bands out there. because uh, are we doing it for our own sake our own good to to get politically ahead in the game who truly knows well jen just wrote in she goes sure the mayor and and again I'm, we're not picking on the mayor no, specifically by all means. this is lots of the in council general. sure the mayor is a, supposed to come out against gun violence but instead of paying lip service with a ban to appease the masses how about a solution like gun amnesty which has been done before and was successful oh and they say there's a ban on smoking in parks but it is never, never enforced. enforced so there's another problem we're going to put in rules that we can't possibly then Mm-hmm. Well, I like what Jen said there. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of lip service, by all means, and you're going to have the odd person that's not that's going to look at that person smoking, and they might call a bylaw officer. But overall, it's very tough to police all of this as well. It's 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 interesting, but again, they they have to say something, I guess. And once they say it, it's there. It's in writing, and um, maybe they get people get publicly shamed. That's why they don't do these things. But whether it is municipal, whether it is provincial, whether it is federal. In most cases, is there are there not better solutions than a blanket ban on something? It seems to me there almost always is. So what what this, is the, the better this, solution? What's well, the better solution for that? A for ban us? is a simple thing. A ban is very simple. Well, you can't do this. Boom, done. No, I mean that's it. No one gets to do it, and we make it as opposed to saying. And let's go back for a second to the smoking in parks in our example again. Mm-hmm. McMaster, for example, McMaster has this new plan that is coming out, and I can't remember if it was passed or if they're just putting it through, that there will be no smoking on campus, period, anywhere. None. You cannot smoke on campus. Well, to me, that is lazy, that is ineffectual, and that is just daring people to do it. Because if you have a class and if you're a smoker, and again, you are allowed to smoke in this country. It is not a crime to smoke. And you have a class at a building in the middle of campus you have to now go all the way to the edge of campus, go stand on a sidewalk, dump your cigarette butt on the sidewalk, which is a big problem now. You couldn't say, here's five different small areas that we have on campus that you can go to as a smoker. We don't want you smoking everywhere. It's a more intelligent way to do things. Bans are lazy to me. They are the laziest form of governance is a ban on something. And to, to say we're going to ban, you know, again, the tobogganing thing. It was a stupid idea to say we're going to ban tobogganing. And look at the uproar that it got. We can say, listen, we are going to tell you, we're going to set aside a few areas, which ultimately they did, and that was a good thing. We're going to set aside some areas where you can toboggan, but you can't toboggan on the hills where there are giant boulders and 200-year-old trees that you will kill yourself by hitting. And I think that ban was more put in as a fear of them being sued. Not for even a fear. Of, it happened. Them. It happened, yeah. They didn't want to be sued yet again, and, and they got smart, and they did. They put up the hay bales, and they they made they were smart about it. So sometimes, I guess, you got to put in the ban, and then you realize that there's an, an alternate solution or a better way of doing or saying things. Uh, but yeah, like you said earlier, they are quick to the draw to say there's a ban. In, well, but but 
would you or I do the same thing? It's very possible we would. We have to put ourselves in counsel shoes sometimes. I, I, I think. like to believe, though, that you would come up with a solution that is not just the easiest possible thing. The idea after the Lock Street thing, there was the suggestion we are going to ban hate groups from public facilities. Well, that sounds terrific. Mm-hmm. Who's determining who the hate groups are? Who's the arbiter? What's a hate group? Who's going to look after this? How about if you have done something that has put you on our list of groups that have caused problems, we will now no longer, whether you're a hate group or any other kind of group, if you have a resume that shows that you have ruined your good standing with the city, you are not going to be able to use our facilities anymore. That is an intelligent way as opposed to coming up with some ban that says, you know, like I'm sure there are groups that some people would categorize as hate groups Mm -hmm. based on your political affiliation who aren't really hate groups, but who determines and now they can't use facilities. Again, my point is I would love to see less of a quick trigger to go to ban. Ban to me is way too often a simple, lazy, ineffectual way of governance, come up with a real solution that deals with the real problem, it may take a little more work. It might take more work, but I also think it, it takes a lot more money. And I think that Sometimes. is always kind of looked at as well. Well, we can't afford to do it maybe this way. So to your point, it's just easier just to ban it. Maybe. Next council, no bans. We're going to have a moratorium on bans. We're going to ban bans. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. Talking about how we are in the final gasps of the rock and roll generation. That Elton John, Paul Simon, and Joan Baez have all announced they're hanging up their guitars or pianos or whatever after their current tour. Ozzy Osbourne has said the same thing. The Stones are now in their 70s. Tom Petty just died. Prince died. David Bowie just died. Springsteen is getting up there. We are in the last gasps of this era of huge stars. I mean, U2 is still going, and but they're now in their 60s. Yep. That's a be, shame. Are you going to be sad when this yeah, I, thing is gone, when this era is gone? I, I'm going to be... A- I've never really been a big rock and roll fan, but I do appreciate the music. I do appreciate the showmanship that they put on behind it. I do enjoy the fact that it's it's real music as opposed to all this synthesized stuff that you hear nowadays and it's just repeating itself over and over. Um, yeah, but you know what? It is, it is a little saddening that it's the end of an era. And, and as we all know, the king of rock and roll himself, the guy that started rock and roll way back when... Is gone as well. He was gone. I thought you meant, you mean John Lennon, right? Yeah, John Lennon. (laughs) (laughs) Nice one, baby. Uh, Um, So, yeah, but don't you also find it fascinating that it's coming to an end, but at some point, everything old is new again. So there will be a whole generation of kids, and I'm going to point my finger at my son, actually, 13 years old. He has a very wide range of musical tastes. Dean Martin, Sinatra, Elvis. Okay, that's my influence. But I didn't push him in any direction. Phil Collins, Genesis, David Bowie. He's got all this on his playlist, which I think is fascinating. So I think my son. That makes him unusual, though. Yes, but you know, it's not in a just good him. way. There, like, yeah, of course. But there's there's a few kids in his class that are taking to this type of music. So maybe this generation, my son's generation, might be able to keep it alive somehow. But in regards to new faces, new voices, new sounds from this era coming out, that might be a while, I think. 
here's the funny thing about this that I I was watching a documentary on YouTube a few weeks ago. It was a great documentary. If you, if you're a fan of music in the '80s mm-hmm. or of this sort of rock and roll era, you've got to watch this. Again, it's on YouTube, and it was on the behind the scenes, the story of Live Aid, how Live oh, Aid wow. came together. It's yeah. about two and a half hours long and it's really, really well done. But that back then, and maybe this is just us with our age and maybe it's just the same today, although it doesn't seem to be, there was this unbelievably huge pool of massive stars that everybody knew about. And Mm -hmm. even the ones that were not really enormous, you know, Spandau Ballet or... Mm-hmm. Simply red or those ones, but you, th- they were also in that pool. I, maybe, I mean, now it seems to me that when I turn on the radio and I'm listening to something that is today music, it's five or six or seven. I mean, it seems, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like there are a much smaller pool of huge stars. And I, huge, they are huge stars, Taylor Swift and those, they're, they're huge stars. There's no question, but it seems like there's many fewer of them. And I think a reason behind that is, is because music of today, it all sounds so similar. To you. Where, to me, and I think maybe to you. To me. Whereas if you but go not back, to kids. if you go back to the live aid, and you take each one of them individually, they were all so unique. They each had such a unique, different sound. Maybe. I think you'd talk to a lot of kids today, and they would say that REO Speedwagon sounds a lot like whoever, like I, Dire, I, not Dire Straits. I would like, disagree. You put REO Speedway up against very ACDC. Well, yes, uh, for sure. Yeah, you're talking about... You, you put Lionel Richie up against uh, Michael Jackson. Different sounds. Can we do that in like a boxing ring. That would be really cool. <laughs> we got to see uh, if Will can get a mash together of that. But Lionel no, Richie and Michael Jackson. Uh, it, it does seem like there are fewer enormous stars now musically than there were. There are huge stars, and there are very, very successful acts that are out there right now. And maybe it's just the the fact that things have changed. There's a lot more country stars, for example, now than there ever were back in the day. I mean, back yeah. then it was. Old country. old country. It's it all new country. Grand now. old Opry kind of stuff. And this new country now, you can play on, on any of the country radio stations, but then they can also go on to mainstream radio as well. All these country songs that kind of have that flip flop uh, effect. You know, you look, you, I think you have to also look at shows like The Voice and American Idol. You know, they're all trying to look for that next new sound. But let's face it, there is n- no new sound really coming out. I think everything it sounds like has already been invented. Who will be, and we're not wishing a death on anyone, let Gosh, me assure no. you, but no, of course not, but who will be the artist that when he or she goes, this really will be the end of the rock and roll era? Who will be that person that will signify that that time is now officially gone? It's a tough one. I'd, I'd have to look at the names again, Scotty. I, uh... See, I, I got one that pops the mind immediately, which is Paul McCartney. When yeah. Paul McCartney goes, but you now he was, he was relevant still in the 80s but he was not he was already sort of post Beatles in the 80s he, the wings was wings were not nearly as big as the Beatles I I think when Paul McCartney goes that to me says that's the end of the era for you that that kind of is yeah no that I, kind of is I, maybe I, Bruce Springsteen well see that's where I was see when I think of I don't think of Paul McCartney as rock I think of him more as ballads and all that now and he when was the last time he really put something out um it's been I, a while yeah, you know Bruce Springsteen. He's still he's still going strong. So in my eyes, it might it might be uh, might be Bruce. Well, they're all hanging him up. Apparently, there's going to be one big retirement party. 
<laughs> I'm going to leave it there. Just leave it there. Just. There's just, you know, once upon a time, a party <laughs> of all those guys together, somebody was getting pregnant and somebody was getting into rehab. Uh, now they're just going to have some Geritol Ger- and go Geritol to bed at three o'clock. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. Yesterday, or it was yesterday this happened, uh, or the day before, but the social media response to this was very divided. There were those who were exceedingly uh, compassionate and understanding and said this is just a horrible error that has happened that has cost a life. And there are others who honestly wanted the parent, and we don't know anything about this right now, uh, drawn and quartered, basically. Where do you fall on this one? Because they, they, they do happen. Are you Do you find yourself, when it's this kind of tragedy, this kind or any other thing with a child, do you find yourself being very compassionate to the parents who clearly have lost in enormous ways, or are you enraged with them and you want them to pay for this? I wouldn't say I'm enraged, and I do understand that sometimes accidents happen. However... However, when it comes to your flesh and blood, when it comes to your newborn child, your uh, three, four, five, six-year-old child, you have a responsibility to that child to look after them no matter what. My wife and I had this conversation many times, and I'm kind of glad that she kept pushing me the other way. We did not leave our kids in the car for one millisecond by themselves, even if it was a matter of we had to run into a local drugstore, get something, and come back out. We were less than two minutes. We unbuckled them, we lugged them with us, and we brought them because that's part of our family. We don't want to take any chances. I I don't know all the circumstances behind this, what they were doing, how all this happened. Again, I'm not outraged. I'm very disappointed, and I'm saddened by the fact that people don't, take those extra few seconds to make sure that their child is looked after, cared for in a proper manner. See, and, maybe pe- and people just don't seem to realize the ramifications of leaving a child well, in. Well, see, I think they do. And, and here's, the, here's the tricky part about if this one. If you did here's know, the, why would you do it then? Well, so this story, this particular one, and again, I'm going by simply on the reporting. Of course, I have no deep inside of knowledge course. of this. Apparently, the child was in the car for something like three hours. To me, there is no parent that goes in for three hours to do an errand with your kid in the car. It strikes me, maybe it's me being naive, maybe it's me being too compa- too understanding, I don't know what, it strikes me that it was either forgotten or not even known, perhaps, that that child was in the car. I don't know, but no one leaves, and I don't think, no one leaves their kid in a car intentionally for three hours. I don't think I, it just, listen, maybe someone does. I, in this particular case, I can't see that. It seems to me this is an accidental thing of the highest order. If it had been a 20 minute thing, maybe a different story. Cause then you could see, oh, I ran in to do some grocery shopping. I thought my kid would be fine. Like your dog. But if you're running in to do grocery shopping, why would you even risk the chance of I, keeping no, I agree. your kid in there all by yourself? Forget the heat, forget the cold. All I it agree. takes is someone to break into the car and take off. A hundred percent, I agree with you. If it was a short-term thing where you have run in to do an errand and you have knowingly, knowingly made the decision that I am going to just do this quickly and leave my kid or my dog in the car, nope. and I don't mean to equate the two, by the way, but we see both things happen. Yes. If I make that decision, to me, then my level of understanding or compassion for that parent is gone. You made a decision to do that and it went horribly wrong, but you chose that venue, that avenue. 
This to me, with the length of time that we're hearing about, this to me sounds like somehow there was a, it was an accident. It was forgotten. It was missed. It was something going How on. How can you forget about your child? Oh, honestly? How can you forget about a three-year-old okay, child? Me, uh, and again. You don't have side mirrors. You don't have a rear view mirror. Me, you don't have those special little baby mirrors that are focused right on your kid. Without you're not knowing. Getting out of your car. Sorry, but no, no. you're not getting out of your car. You don't check all the seats around. You don't make sure your car is locked. The windows are up. You forget. You don't see your child there. Come without, on. Without knowing the details of this one. Let me throw. And I agree. No, but let me throw details. out. A, a scenario that I this is what I actually thought of this particular one that you drive to maybe you aren't the normal parent who is driving the kid to daycare and you get to work and you have just forgotten the child has fallen asleep in the back seat and is silent and you get to work and you have forgotten the kid uh, is as amazing as that may sound that was the first thing I thought of because of the time that this child and so for a conscious decision, if the if the decision is made that I'm going to leave my kid there for a few minutes, that to me is very different from one of those rare but I believe plausible cases where you could have actually, with the hustle and bustle of life and everything else, just forgotten. I can see that happening. I, I can I see it happening. I, I, I can't, you know, and maybe I'm just different. You don't take that. You jump out of your car every single time and never look back at it, ever. And uh, I, I'm yeah, all, pretty I much, all, yeah. I always do a quick look in the seat. I just, I do it, just habit for me. Oh, uh, even if it's just to make sure that my car isn't on the white line or something, you're forced to look in other windows. I, I, I don't believe that for a minute. And then for three hours, how do you forget a child? But that's my point. Hours? If you didn't know, or if you had, if it had completely skipped your mind that you had the kid. I mean, there was one that I heard about in the states, and I have to look this one up. I can do it on the break. Where the parent didn't know the child had got into the car. And we've heard of those ones before. And but still, you don't look you never look back at your car. Ever. I, I, I don't get it. I, I, I don't believe maybe, that. That's maybe an I'm excuse. just forgetting. Maybe I'm forgetting what I used to do when my kids were toddlers, but I I don't I certainly don't now. And and if you're if you're the you use the analogy of well, I'm I'm the caregiver and this is the first time I've had to drop them off to a nursery or something. My gosh, that would be the only thing on my mind before work. I, I have a child with me. I have a child with me. I'm not used to this. I got a child with me. I got to get him, drop him off safe. And so I don't use that as an, okay, I don't so buy that me, as an excuse Let me, either. again, not, not to defend. I don't know the circumstance, no, know. but I, let me, let me, not to defend, but to use a horrible example. Again, I'm good at horrible examples. Horrible example. You go out grocery shopping and you buy ice cream. So you know, you've got to get the ice cream home and put it in the freezer or else it's going to melt and it's going to be a mess. Come on. Someone calls you on your phone and you get distracted because you're now talking well, on your Bluetooth. First off, I'm, <laughs> no, no, safe. <laughs> no, no, on your Bluetooth and you're, you're talking in the car and then you get to work and the car, you just hung up and you get out and you have forgotten the ice cream in the trunk. Again, ice cream Trunk's and a baby. a different story. Ice you're not, cream. You're, you're okay. not putting a kid in a trunk. But it's, uh, no, I, well, you hope not. Uh, ice cream and a baby, I grant you, are very different things. I'm not for a second, as everyone knows, but I can see in rare circumstances, how this could be something that could happen. I can see it and it can be not an intentional thing. The point is, for me, if this was an intentional decision that just ended badly, the full weight of the law for me should come crashing down on you. Because how many times have we heard these stories now? If you're a parent, you have heard these stories before. You have heard about these tragedies 
And so when you say you take your kids out, even if you're running in for a bag of chips, that's what you should be doing. You're a parent. If it's somehow, though, if the, the explanation is given and it is legitimately plausible that this somehow, even though it seems crazy to us, that this somehow was legitimately an oversight, a mistake, a distraction or whatever else, boy, my, my, my level of compassion for those parents is through the roof. Because imagine what they are dealing with then if this is an honest mistake that has led to this. It's quite possible. But again, until all the facts come out, we truly don't know. And so at, to this point... I think you see all the outrage pointed uh, correctly at the parents at this point. But it's going to be tough to sway because I honestly don't know what could be so much bigger, what could be so much more significant going on in your life right now where you have left your child in a vehicle. What about the... Uh, yeah, no, I look, I... I what is more significant than, than your child in your day-to-day life what do we go to work for? We go to work for our kids. Yeah. I, what I, do we come home for? We come home to see our kids. I just, I'm, I am, I am, I'm not trying to be naive, but I am, I You're trying to, to f- give a benefit of a doubt. But I feel capable that I could see that someone in a rare circumstance that this could happen. And I don't know that that's the case in this case. And, and again, let me go back to my point. If it's not, if the decision was, hey, I didn't think it was that hot outside, I left them Doesn't with matter. their iPod or whatever, and I thought they'd be fine. That's a, that is, to me, that is a whole different story. Then it is, you made a decision that was so atrocious that you deserve what's coming to you. But I, um, I, I don't know. This one, the, it, the interesting thing to me about this story and the reason we're talking about it today is because the response online, there was no middle ground, it didn't seem, when I went online with Twitter and everything else. It was either complete compassion for this person or absolute outrage and wanting to string the person up. There was no middle ground that I found where it was like, oh, well, you know, these things. No, it was it was two spectrums, two ends of the spectrum. Yeah, because I don't think these things just happen. Well, they also, can I tell you something that, that this sounds... Very strange, so bear with me on this one. I am thrilled that there is this level, though, of passion about the death of a child. And the reason I say it that way, at the newspaper, at the spec, other places, oftentimes a child dying generates not near the same passion and outrage as a pet dying. And I'm not being funny. If if someone does something to a dog... The outrage is through the roof, mm-hmm. through the, to a kid, you know, it's there, but it's not the same. Mm-hmm. I am thrilled to see that in a case like this, that there is this, le- for that reason, that there is this level of passion one way or another for this, because I, it always, look, we love dogs, we love cats, we love whatever else, but it's always made me a little crazy to think that people lose their minds more about the death of an animal than about a child. Yeah, no, and I see where you're coming and I... I know exactly what you're saying there, and I agree. And maybe maybe there's that more passion for an animal because they're innocent. They, they, or they don't have a voice. They're 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 dragged along, and I don't mean to see be disparaging when I say dragged there, but they're basically told where to go, how to do it, and they don't have a say in anything. But also, so does a child. So does a toddler because they can't speak for themselves. They can't think for themselves. They can't talk, speak up for themselves at this point. So great to see the passion, as you alluded to, and it would be very interesting. And we might have this conversation three, four months from now and have 
all new de- de- details given to us, and then our tunes completely change. So we'll we truly see. don't know, right? Yeah. Well, we'll. I mean, we will know something. I mean, I'm sure that we'll know something at some point about this. You that would it, certainly hope so, because it's serious. It, oh, it's, but, it's more. But than I think serious, at yeah. the at the end of the day, we're talking about all this right now, Scott, and. I encourage every single one of you, mom, dad, grandparent, aunt, uncle, nephew, whoever you are as a caregiver to any child, take that extra one or two seconds to check your car before you walk away. It's not hard to do. Are the doors all locked, windows up? Oh, guess what? Look what I left in the back seat. Little Nancy was sound asleep. Phew. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. Mike, uh, in a day or two, I can't remember, I think it's Monday, I think you said it was Monday, I've completely lost track, but the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs, Stanley Cup finals, pardon me, are starting, Vegas Golden Knights versus the Washington Capitals, Yeah, uh, which is ironic because the Vegas Golden Knights are now the most successful expansion team of all time versus the Washington Capitals, who were the least successful expansion (laughs) team of all time. Back in 1974-75, they had eight wins all season. They were a complete and utter unmitigated disaster. Anyway, the fact that Vegas, in their first year, Mm. is in the finals, and the Toronto Maple Leafs are now 51 (laughs) years without being in the finals... And no Canadian team has won the Stanley Cup now in, I think, 25 years. 25 years ago, Montreal won it. We were on our honeymoon 25 years ago when they won it. Is this a great, great story, or is this a scathing indictment of NHL general managers other than George McPhee, the guy for Vegas who put this together? Because to me, I'm looking at this going, wait a sec, I love this story, but... My goodness, if he can do it with cast-offs, what is the excuse the other general managers have? Well, hey, and wasn't he also the same GM that drafted Ovechkin as well? Got, and then he's got, got fired. He's got, his, yeah, but he's got his fingerprints on both of these franchises. Yes, he does. You know, really? He was the Washington's GM for a long time. So, so there you go. So he, a lot of his blueprint for the Capitals, I think, is there as well. You know what? I just think this is good general managing, if you want to call it that. It's, it's making smart moves. It's letting the the coach do what the coach is to do. And also, I think you have to look at this Las Vegas team. And again, I'm not the hockey guy that you always have on here. I know you got Donnie and all that. But as an outsider kind of looking in, watching, and enjoying the sport, here you kind of have a, a, a cast of misfits who said, hey, why not us? And they've ba- they've bonded, they've banded together, they've created something that's unique and fun in, a, in the greatest city in, in the States. And you also got a hot goaltender who was a Stanley Cup champion. Well, that you, you do have that, but they've—I mean, even when he was injured this year, they—I mean, they from they day playing. one they were great, and they went down to their fourth string goalie. I really there was, and you know, all the puns aside, you know, all bets were off. It's it's just go and have fun, boys. Here's the system, and then and then once you start winning, like any sport, once you start winning, you start to believe in yourself, and once you start believing in yourself, then lucky breaks yeah, start going. Yeah, but you your know way. what? There are other teams that are good and that believed in themselves as well, with a lot more high-paid, talented superstar players. I, I, I honestly, I look at this and I agree with you that it's good general managing by George McPhee. But at the flip side, if he's not, he can't possibly. Can he be that much better than all the other general managers? No, no, or no. that much smarter than all the other general managers? I, I, I don't know if he caught lightning in a bottle or if there's something else. But honestly, if I'm an owner of an NHL team and my salary is 20 30 $40 million higher than Vegas's, which most of them are, mm-hmm. I'm calling my GM in saying, why are we not playing right now? And why are they playing? 
Can you please explain to me why I paid $20 million more and you got way worse results? It's the, it's the money ball version of hockey. That's what it basically comes down to. You know, you, you work with what you got and you, you put belief in these, in these players, old, young, inexperienced, experienced, and, and you just let them go. And again, it's a fantastic story. And I don't think if you are a general manager who has the $40, $50 million payroll, you can feel that bad about it because these guys are in the game. They know how all this plays out. You know, I don't think anyone is looking at George McPhee and saying, uh, you know, he had everything going to him. Or I don't think they're talking bad behind his back at all. Oh, they're not talking bad about him. They're talking. They're. I'm sure they're tor- terribly envious of him for the work that he's done and for what he's pulled off. And, but I, and I think you also then, and this is great this year. And if they win it, super. But then, how will they follow it up? It's the sophomore jinx, you know. And yes, winning a Stanley Cup is great and will be a story for all time. But you also then want to have that continuation of success like a Montreal, like a Detroit I agree, Red but, Wing team. But you know what? The Hamilton Bulldogs are playing tonight in the Memorial Cup semifinal. If they win tonight and then they were to win on Sunday, you would like it to always be like that. But I think most people would say, you know what? If winning a championship means that we have to suffer through a couple of years of not as good, but every once in a while we get a championship, I think a lot of people would say, I'd rather be really good and win a championship every few years or contend for a championship every few years than just be in the mushy middle. And, I agree. And, and so, but fans are fickle. Fans are fickle. So Vegas could be awful next year for all we know. I don't expect they will, but they could be awful next year. I think, though, that a lot of people there would say, oh, that was a pretty good trade-off. I'll take the bad year if we had one like this. And, and you know, I know I'm already looking to the end of the year, but you would almost have to think, even at this point, is this the, not the sports story of the year? Oh, yeah. Hands down. Oh, yeah. There's nothing I don't think that can top this right now. Not in any sport. Not in any sport. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Not in any, not sport. In any sport. I mean, it, it's so funny that uh, that you're looking at this and there are actual NHL awards being voted upon for coach of the year and executive of the year. It's like, why bother? Why bother? Just what? give it all to Vegas at this point. <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost a waste of time to ask people, so who was the coach of the year? The guy has a team of cast-offs that almost finished first and got to the final. Now, I know it's before the playoffs, but they had a great, great year. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away. I mean, I want Vegas to win. I don't, re- I don't have any reason. To the capital, but I don't really have a rooting interest for Vegas, except man, what a terrific story. To and I, I heard somewhere, you know, a lot of people were upset when it came to the Apparently, So if you're a if you're a Canadian hockey fan, I think you want to put your Great new song from Arkells. Yeah, I think the numbers were, I think Vegas has Of Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Uh, you can catch them, by the way, June 23rd. They're playing Tim Hortons Field and what in the semifinals. What, what great does that show you about local Jordan band. It's a great song, you know, People's he, Champ. He knows where the, the other day I had that is. one on my Let's Apple Music, and I must have played boys. that about 15 times over and over and over. Great quick reminder, by the way, we were just mentioning the Hamilton Bulldogs. in a day or two, I can't remember. I think it's Monday. They said it was Monday. I completely lost But the Stanley Cup playoffs, 
finals. Is, pardon the me. We're starting Vegas but Golden Knights versus wanting the Washington to Capitals. Hang yeah. with the city folk, uh, which is ironic because the Vegas Golden Knights are now are the most successful expansion team I'm not of sure all time. The versus but the there will be an opportunity to be successful expansion team of all time. Mayor Fred is going to be standing holding seventy-five. They had ten wins all season. That would work. They were a complete and utter right down to the forecourt, right in front of Hamilton City Hall, Vegas. New in their first Hamilton sign is in the finals. You can go down there and you can watch. Toronto Maple Leafs with, are now uh, 51 years without being in the Sunday, finals. They will be doing the same and thing. No Canadian team. Yes, they will be. At 7 o'clock on Sunday. Now, now, do you think that if they were to win the championship, do you think there will be a widespread riot in Hamilton 25 years ago when they won it? No. I, like is when, this a you know like, like when the Blue Jays won that great, was insane great, I don't know where they were I was living no, 1992 and 1993 both times and you know when the Blue Jays won you know what I remember George about that McFeed, more than anything the guy for Vegas yeah. who put turning this together turning on the TV to me, I'm looking at Young going, Street people had all poured into Young wait Street wait a second I love this story spontaneous my eruptions if he of can do it with, with all the people there, which I thought was just so cool the other that won't happen at the Blues when Vancouver loses in the Stanley Cup final and then he's got the city into Beirut he's got his fingerprints on when Toronto wins the yeah, World yeah, Series, they sing Oh Canada GM lovingly and join together so and link their so arms and have a kumbaya moment. Got to wonder what happened to that. Remember that guy well. in Vancouver, you know the water polo I just think this is good by all general managing, if you want to call it that. It's, it's making smart moves. What came of that guy? It's letting the coach do what the coach is to do. And also, I think you have to look at water polo. You know, you think a guy who spends all of his time in water wouldn't be good at lighting stuff on fire. But hey, kudos to the Bulldogs, John Gruden, the young players, Robert Thomas kid. Here you kind of really have a, 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 a cast of misfits. Uh, there's the, the coming home hey, party why not too. Us? We mentioned it. And, and they've banned it. They've sure. banned Tuesday it at noon. Win or lose. The Hamilton, uh, city of Hamilton, the co-sponsored in, by Table 14 will be welcomed home. And you also got a hot goaltender who is a Stanley Cup champion. Well, that you do have that. But I mean, even when he was injured this year, I mean, from day one, they were great. And they went down to their fourth straight goal. And that evening, at that event, Mike Fortune will be hosting a political debate among all the players. That's for off. It's, it's just on the political fun, boys. ramifications the of their and then and then once you start successes winning, like this year, sport, once really. you start winning, you start. All right, we will take a quick break. By the way, let me give you a quiz yourself, question before we send you to break. Yeah, but you know way. what? There are other what teams that are good and believed in themselves as well with a lot to the world on this day in nineteen players. As a name, I look at this and I agree translated as by George Murphy. But the flip side, if he's not nine five six four five three two two one or much better than all the other general managers, zero zero that much. Smarter than all the other general managers. I, I don't you know if he caught lightning in a bottle, this one. or will if something else. But will honestly, if I'm an owner, we'll take your name, see how many of you are able to figure this one out. Is two things you can go on in this one. Million one million there was a movie released on this day in 1977 saying, if you can figure that out, you might be able to get the answer. And why are they playing? Has a name that means Can you please explain to me why I paid $20 million more and you got way worse results? 905-645-3221, star 9900. Back after this, You put belief in these players, old, young, inexperienced, experienced, and and you just let them go. And again, it's a fantastic story. And I don't think if you are a general manager who has the forty, fifty million dollar payroll, you can feel that bad about it because these guys are in the game. They know how all this plays out. You know, I don't think anyone is looking at George McPhee and saying, uh, you know, he had everything going to him. Or I don't think they're talking bad behind his back at all. Oh, they're not talking bad about him. They're talking. They're. I'm sure they're tor- terribly envious of him for the work that he's done and for what he's pulled off. And but, I. And, I think you also then, 
and this is great this year, and if they win it, super. But then how will they follow it up? It's the sophomore jinx, you know. And, yes, winning a Stanley Cup is great and will be a story for all time, but you also then want to have that continuation of success like a Montreal, like a Detroit I agree, Red Wing but, team. But you know what? The Hamilton Bulldogs are playing tonight in the Memorial Cup semifinal. If they win tonight and then they were to win on Sunday – you would like it to always be like that, but I think most people would say, you know what, if winning a championship means that we have to suffer through a couple of years of not as good, but every once in a while we get a championship, I think a lot of people would say, I'd rather be really good and win a championship every few years or contend for a championship every few years than just be in the mushy middle. And, I agree. And, and so... But fans are fickle. Fans are fickle. So Vegas could be awful next year, for all we know. I don't expect they will, but they could be awful next year. I think, though, that a lot of people there would say, ah, oh, that was a pretty good trade-off. I'll take the bad year if we had one like this. And, and you know, I know I'm already looking to the end of the year, but you would almost have to think, even at this point, is this the, not the sports story of the year? Oh, yeah. Hands down. Oh, yeah. There's nothing I don't think that can top this right now. Not in any sport. Not in any sport. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Not in any, Not sport. In any sport. I mean, it, it's so funny that uh, that you're looking at this and there are actual NHL awards being voted upon for coach of the year and executive of the year. It's like, why bother? Why bother? Just what? give it all to Vegas at this point. <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost a waste of time to ask people, so who was the coach of the year? The guy has a team of cast-offs that almost finished first and got to the final. Now, I know it's before the playoffs, but they had a great, great year. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm... I'm I'm blown away. I mean, I want Vegas to win now. I don't re- I don't have any rooting interest for the Capitals, and I don't really have a rooting interest for Vegas, except, man, what a terrific story to wrap and I, it up. And I heard somewhere, you know, a lot of people were upset Winnipeg didn't make it in, Canadian team. Apparently, and again, you can maybe check it on this, but I did hear it from a pretty reliable source. There were actually more Canadians playing on the Las Vegas Golden Knights yep. than there were on the Winnipeg Jets. A so, lot more. So if you're, a, if you're a Canadian hockey fan, I think you want to put your pucks all in one net as well and cheer on for this uh, Vegas team as opposed to uh Yeah, I think the numbers were, I think Vegas has 18 Canadians on the team and Winnipeg had 11 and they were the second lowest and, and what in the, the semifinals. What, what does that show you about George McPhee? You know, he, he, he knows where the home of hockey is. Let's bring up those good old Canadian boys. Let's see what they can do for us here. It's uh, a quick reminder, by the way, uh, we were just mentioning the Hamilton Bulldogs. In case you are so inclined, they're on Sportsnet tonight for the semifinal playing against the Regina Pats, the where the tournament is, the hometown Regina Pats. But if you are wanting to hang with the city folk and cheer in a public place, there are screens or a screen. I'm not sure what the setup is, but there will be an opportunity. Black and white with bunny ears. To, yeah. <laughs> Mayor Fred is going to be standing holding these. No, they're going to put the it right antenna. on the H of the Hamilton side. That would work. <laughs> Uh, it is uh, right down in the forecourt, right in front of Hamilton City Hall, right where the new flashy Hamilton sign Signage, is. Yeah. You can go down there and you can watch the game with uh, with other people. And should they advance on Sunday, they will be doing the same thing? Another, uh, yes, they will be at 7 viewing, o'clock on 7 Sunday. O'clock? Now, do you think that if they were to win the championship, do you think there will be widespread rioting in Hamilton? Ticker tape and everything? No. I, like when... No. You know, like, like when the Blue Jays won, that was insane. I don't know I'm where being you facetious. were. I was living. No, 1992 and 1993, both times. And you know when the Blue Jays won? You know what I remember about that more than anything? That? Turning on the TV and on Young Street, people had all poured into Young Street. Yeah. Spontaneous eruptions of O Canada with all the people there, yeah. which I thought was just so cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. No, that won't happen if the Bulldogs win the hundredth Memorial Cup. No. When but Vancouver loses in the Stanley Cup final, they turn the city into Beirut. <laughs> 
<laughs> when Toronto wins the that World Series, pole. they sing Oh Canada lovingly and join together and link their arms and have a kumbaya moment. Gotta wonder what happened to that. Remember that guy in Vancouver, the water polo player who was outed by all of his friends on social media for torching that car? And I wonder what ever happened to him. What came of that guy? Yeah. What's uh, he doing now? Uh, well... We gotta figure that out. Figure out what happened to water polo. You know, you'd think a guy who spends all of his time in water wouldn't be good at lighting <laughs> stuff on fire. But hey, you know, kudos to the Bulldogs, John Gruden, the uh, the young players. Uh, you know that Robert Thomas kid. He's he's really a spark plug. And uh, there's the the coming home party too. I don't know if we mentioned it. If I'm allowed to, Scotty. Uh, no, Tuesday, it is for sure. Tuesday at noon, win or lose, the Hamilton uh, City of Hamilton, co-sponsored by Cable 14, will be welcoming home your hometown Hamilton Bulldogs at the forecourt of City Hall at noon. As I said. And it will be a great opportunity to, uh, again, win or lose, show them your appreciation that you do support. And that evening at that event, Mike Fortune will be hosting a political debate (laughs) among all the players. Yeah, I don't know about that. On the political ramifications of their successes this year. Not really. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Let me ask you this, Mike. There was a video that was posted today on social media. Uh, discussion starter, they filmed a guy on the New York subway who had, while he was riding the subway, had decided to take off his shoes and socks and clip his toenails on the subway (laughs) while he was riding home. Now, your response to this is kind of how I thought some people would respond, but I mean, where, where is the limit publicly for personal grooming. You, Can you do your fingernails on the str- on the subway? Could you clip your fingernails? I wouldn't clip. I think you could you could uh, you could file down. But if I you had a little a little if you had that little pocket knife file, or something and you want to just trim them or whatever, yeah, could you do that? I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't I wouldn't want to take the clipper and clip them right off. If you have a little nail file and you just want to get that little edge off, that's fine. I I do that regularly in my office and I have some colleagues. I just got a little file. I'm just filing down. When you get into clipping and and taking that sharp point and going right under the nail and getting all the guck out of it and then flicking it on the floor. See, I've cut my fingernails at work, at my desk, when I try to be inconspicuous. Well, that's the thing, too. It's not like you're, hey, so what's going on, folks? (laughs) Clip, clip. And uh, yeah, it was a good article you had yesterday, Scotty. On a subway, though, seriously, socks, shoes right off. At least he wasn't trying to chew them off. Yeah. He wasn't biting his toenails. I've seen people try that one before. Yeah. No, I mean, not personally. I've not actually been around someone, but I'm just, I was sitting there going, okay, so what is the, what is the, I mean, could you, could you, okay, we, blowing your nose in public, as long as you do it politely, that would be okay because you have to at times. That's going to be. With, with a proper Kleenex yes. and all that. Well, not yeah, into not, into your, not into your tie. Not your hand or anything <laughs> like that. Tie. Like, what do I do now? I'll just wipe it on this remember, bowl here. Do you remember Terry Crisp? He was the coach, I think, of Tampa Bay at the time. <laughs> on the bench, he blew his nose into his tie one time. That's right, yeah. <laughs> on that's TV. Right. That was okay. That's not cool. Um, okay, so blow your nose. You have to. Sneezing sometimes. You have to. Coughing, you'll have to do. Combing your hair. Is combing your hair okay on a subway? I would not. I never have to comb. Well, I know you don't. Your stays, yours is a button that pops I, back into place when I, it goes out. I, I, I think I, th- I think combing hair is fine. You, uh, you, you see both genders t- once in a while, fixing it up, grooming What about brushing your hair? What about like lo- women with long hair, long brush strokes doing or, their hair or, in the subway? Or guys with long hair as well. Why well, not? Could you know, okay. I, I, you know, I, I, as long as you're not seeing like flakes of dandruff coming off with it at the same time and they're not cleaning out their comb with all the dead hair that's come out and they put that on. What about aggressive scratching? 
what preferable body, what body part? I'm not. I'm not going. Where, where not, are they scratching? I'm not talking about any place that you shouldn't. Well, be. I'm just saying. I think that's if, important to know, Scott. If you have a really itchy armpit, let's say, can you scratch your armpit on yeah. the subway, or is that kind of like gross? I'm doing right now. Yeah. Is that bad? Is that is this offensive? Is this no? But I don't want to shake your hand now. <laughs> well, I want to shake yours anyway. Well, I'm just. I'm. I'm I, I, no. I, I, again, I, it's social etiquette. And I think shaving, lot, shaving with an automatic, with an electric razor. Could you shave on the subway if you had a, in, and not with a, not with no, shaving cream and a hair everywhere. No. Well, some people a nose will. trimmer. No. A no, the Ear see, trimmer. I have one of those, by the way. They're see, fantastic. No, <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, and there's some people I wish I could rent it out to. It's like, dude, come on, man. See, nose Do trimmer. Do you not look in a mirror? Here's, this is a very funny thing about this because if you were to actually gather up on the ground, if it was a perfectly pristine floor yeah. and someone shaved with an electric razor yeah. or used the ear trimmer or nose trimmer, probably if you picked up the shavings, you couldn't tell one from the next. And yet we are, I think most people would be, well, if the guy's shaving with an electric razor on a subway, I'm not going to be too bothered by that. That wouldn't freak us I out. But a guy, pl- but a guy nose hair plucking or, or thing, we'd go, oh, gross. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, At the end of the day, it's it's all hair. It's all dead follicles, right? It's all dead or dead skin cells, I should say. Dead cells, right? I mean, I here the the probably the good thing to follow, the rule of thumb to follow is grooming should probably be done before you leave your place. You would think if you were given proper to barring proper an emergency, etiquette. barring an emergency, try, you don't want, but. There are certain things that certainly fall into the over the bounds of good taste grooming. Mm. You know, someone starts rolling on deodorant under their shirt in the subway. Would that bother you? I'd actually probably be thanking them. Say, thank God you got that looked after. It's appreciated. Didn't want to say anything. Glad you noticed. See, that to me is a personal kind of thing. It's it's not something you... But if someone was had a deodorant stick and they were in the subway and they ran out of their house quickly and they just want, reached under their shirt and put... A, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be upset it, by that. It's all on if you can do it subtly or if you are making a grand scene about it. I'm sure everything we've kind of talked about is okay as long as it's kind of, you know... Okay, what about brushing your teeth? Now, you wouldn't obviously be using toothpaste. What if you just had a toothbrush and you were brushing your teeth well, in the subway? What's the point of brushing your teeth without toothpaste? Oh, because you've got to dry brush. You're just spreading the germs around. No, you got to dry brush. You're just getting the plaque off No, because there. then you're flicking everything on everyone else's All right, dental face. floss. What about flossing or toothpicking? Ah, uh, you see that quite regularly at the uh, at a restaurant after dinner. I don't have a problem with that. See, the flossing, I would have a huge I problem have, with. The flossing, yes, but if you, they be- have those new little dental picks Yeah, now. but even then, the no, problem with the floss... Me. Is that if when you put it you in, you got to put it around. Gotta, but not uh, only that, but when you get it out, it goes bing yeah. and it shoots. So you're going to have pieces of stuff that are flying. Yeah. And there's a better than average possibility that if you're sitting next to the person, you're going to be wearing some of last night's dinner. But that's why they got those cool little U-shaped ones with a piece of dental floss. It's like a centimeter long. You just, you know, in your bottom teeth. But it's still going to pop it out. No, not if you do it properly. There's a way to do it where n- things aren't flying out everywhere. Come on. What what type of flossing are you doing? Got a chainsaw in there? I'm very aggressive with my flossing. So you must have excellent oral hygiene then. I have fantastic. I think I have, well, yes, I, I, I have very few cavities in my mouth. There I've, you go. And in fact, you want to know what? This is a true story. One of the last times that I had a cavity, of course, me not being a huge fan of the dentist, I'm sorry, our, my dentist is fantastic, mm-hmm. but I don't like going to him. Nothing personal. I'm just not a big fan of the whole genre, the whole milieu. But he told me I had a cavity. And so it was like seven or eight or nine or 10 months later that I finally got around to going oh. and seeing him. 
It wasn't a big cavity. My tooth okay. wasn't gaping. And when I went back and he went to find it, he goes, your cavity has actually Come healed, on. healed itself. Come on. I'm not kidding. He, the cavity was gone. He, oh, now you're making stuff I'm up. not making it up. My cavity healed itself. I want to talk to this dentist. He couldn't find the cavity. And it was like, okay, I trust you that you were not having me on in the first place just to do cavity work. <laughs> Although, one other dental story before we go. Several years ago, I had a little cavity. This one I had to get done. And I was supposed to be speaking at a class at McMaster right afterwards. So I said, to him, oh, I got to talk at a class. And he goes, well, so you don't want your mouth all frozen? I was like, well, uh, I'd prefer it. I goes, well, it's a really little cavity. Oh boy. So we don't even, I don't think you're going to even need freezing. I said, are you sure about this? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, it's so, so little that you're going to be fine. And I was like, are you really <laughs> sure about this? This is like, I've heard it. I know what this sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it'll be fine. All, all right, I'm going to trust you. And? About a second into the, <laughs> when it pops through the enamel, I I think my fingerprint marks are still in the armrests of that seat. My body went into a spasm and he stops and he goes, did Oops. that hurt? I was like, yes, yeah. yes. Anyway, he says, well. I've never heard that before. Well, I've only got one second of drilling left and we can be done. So I don't really want to freeze it. And I said, I, I don't think I can do another second of this. He goes, okay, I'll, do, I'll do another two half seconds. And I was like, all right, Mike, I, I honestly, <laughs> you could have taken me to Hawaii and thrown me <laughs> on the lava pit this week and it would have hurt less. Who does a half second of drilling? I've never heard just, that before. <laughs> and then we were supposed to be done. Man. So anyway, did you end up going to your speaking engagement? Yes, feeling okay? I did. I, not feeling okay. No? My brain was buzzing. Word of advice, if a dentist ever tells you this won't hurt, you don't need freezing. Take the freezing. Don't just take the freezing. Say, no, I would actually prefer to be knocked out for this. Thank you. Can you please put, give me general anesthetic? I don't even want to be awake for this. Anyway. That's, uh, I've, that's something I've never heard before, Never, Scotty. never, never, never do that. But also, no drilling, no dentistry on a subway either, just for exactly. reference. The Scott Radley Show. The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.